Latins are a kind of early alphabet that originated at about 500 BC. They were symbols carved out of stone or pieces of wood used in pagan rituals to portend future events and invoke magic. Among the ancient druids, Thorn represented a demon that spread sickness, brought death to hundreds of thousands of people. According to Celtic legend, one child from each tribe was chosen to be inflicted with the curse of Thorn to offer the blood sacrifices of its next of kin on the night of Samhain. Halloween. The sacrifice of one family meant sparing the lives of an entire tribe. For years, I've been convinced there must be some reason, some method behind Michael's madness. The Druids were also great mathematicians and astronomers, but the thorn symbol is actually a constellation of stars that appears from time to time on Halloween night. Whenever it appears, he appears. Coincidence? In 1995, six years after the disappointment of Halloween 5, longtime executive producer Mustafa Akkad finally brought his beloved slasher series back to theaters with Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers. Akkad had initially intended to produce the sixth installment of the series much sooner after the previous film, but years of legal battles over the rights to the franchise delayed production significantly. Eventually, Halloween found a new home at Dimension Films, a division of Miramax that was ultimately owned by Disney at the time. Though the legal battles seemed to be over, the creative battles on the set and in the editing room turned out to be the true curse of Halloween 6. With a script written by a self-professed superfan, The Curse of Michael Myers was a movie that started its production life as a story that would pick up threads from the previous films and weave a new tale that would explain and expand many of the scattered ideas presented over the years. Unfortunately, even though writer Danny Farrens might have had the best intentions with his vision, his was a vision not shared by director Joe Chappelle or by executives from Miramax. A behind-the-scenes tug-of-war involving reshoots, rewrites, and countless last-minute decisions resulted in a mess that left none of the filmmakers happy and most of the fans confused. So is there anything worthwhile in Halloween 6? The producer's cut of the movie has been acclaimed by fans for years, but is it much better than what was seen in theaters in 1995? Join us as we discuss these questions and more as we take a hard, hard look at the two versions of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, here in The Last Theater. Welcome to part six of the Halloween retrospective, franchise retrospective on The Last Theater. My name is Chris. And my name is Joey. Welcome back once again, Joey, to The Last Theater, where you can find all of the previous episodes on cnjradio.com, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most of your favorite podcasting applications. So Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, also known as Halloween 666 at one point. So <laughs> the the intro to this one was a bit long and mostly focused on the behind the scenes rather than the movie itself. Sure. Because I think the most interesting story is the behind the scenes stuff. It does seem that way. Because what was produced and what was seen in the original theatrical cut version is not a good movie. I when the last episode we said that part five was bad, it was. This one was just bad and confusing. So yeah. that's my initial take. 
Chris, can you blame it? Just as a movie watcher. Yeah. And it's it's hard to turn off the analysis brain sometimes. Sure. But as a movie watcher, just right here on the surface, mm-hmm. is five to blame for some of this? Yes. Okay. I think everything that came before is a little bit to blame for it. And by that, I don't mean that it's all bad. What I mean is that if you... We've talked about it a lot. We've talked about a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff on the Halloween series and all yeah. of these because it's relevant to all the movies. It's very relevant to what we actually got on screen. And one of the things that seems to happen each time a new Halloween has come out up to this point is that they don't really know exactly what they want to do with it. And people from previous movies don't necessarily want to keep going Starting with John Carpenter in the very first one. He set the precedent in more ways than one. Yeah, and so you have new directors each time, typically young directors getting their start, which is great. That's one thing that Deborah Hill has said over the years. I've seen in interviews from other people talking about her, saying that one of the things she's loved about the series has been that it gives all these people their starts in the movie business. But we also see that most of these directors, after John Carpenter, have only have done television from that point on. They haven't really done mo- mo- a lot of other big things. Sure. Um, we talked about some of them in like the four and five thing. Yeah. Actually, four, I think it was. Some of those guys did some pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Not great, but. Yeah. And so, long story short, I'm a little tangent there, yeah. but I think yes, part five is to blame for a lot of what happened in six, but also. The writer that I mentioned, Danny Farrens, yeah. he clearly loves the franchise, yeah. loves the character. Like every person involved in every Halloween concerning Michael Myers, they all say they want to go back to the original and bring back the feeling of the original. Sure. Mustafa Akkad says that at yeah. times, too. John Carpenter, interesting, was the only one that, with part two, didn't want to go back to the original. Yeah. And I know I'm the music guy, but it just reminds me of when older bands put yeah. out a record and they love to reference a really good record of right. theirs. And they go, oh, it feels like this when yeah. they're in pre-production yeah. or in the middle of production or it's done. Yeah. And they still feel that way and they love to reference that. Yeah. But a lot of it's just talking points, in my opinion. It is. It really is. It's, it's to sell the movie yeah. to the people that are going to put money into the theater without really knowing what the movie is. Sure. So they just nerds like us will just go regardless because we do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's they're getting our money. They would. I'm. I don't remember if I. I don't think I saw this in theaters. Actually, I was old enough. I was teens, mid teens. Yeah, we we were of that to where we probably could have gotten into the theater because none of us were seventeen yet at this time. Yeah, just on the cusp. Mm. So we were kind of getting into those. We weren't getting carded. We were at that age, you know. So we could have gone. Yeah. But I, I remember not really caring right. at that point. Not enough to go see it in the theater, yeah. uh, date or not. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first time I saw this, uh, we worked at a video store. Um, a few together. A few together. Yeah. And I saw a screener copy, which is the one that they send to the video stores. This is VHS video is what yeah. I'm talking about. Yes. They would send the screener copy to the video stores to try to sell it to the individual video stores and yeah. it would have the the label that would pop up like every 10 minutes saying yeah. this is a screener copy this is yeah. not for sale yeah legal warning not yeah. for sale or rental so i actually ended up with that that was my version of halloween 6 for years because i never bought it because sure. it was like i have this it's fine yeah yeah <laughs> might not have actually heard it in yeah. any way the scroll right. <laughs> it might have distracted you from some of the terribleness that is this cut and maybe that cut for sure the, yeah. the one that we knew existed for years and years and not even know about 
the producer's cut. And we're going to talk about the producer's cut on this episode. Yes, we watched much, both. Much in the same way that we did about part two. We actually kind of went into both of these movies not knowing if we were going to kind of cover both cuts. Yeah. But I feel like it's definitely relevant once again. It is. And especially in six, it is mucho relevant yeah. because they're very different, especially a, in that last act. Yeah, very much so. Uh, but getting back to your question, specifically, yes, part five influenced this in bad ways because the man in black that was thrown into part five for no reason. <laughs> and the fact that reading interviews, I again went to Fangoria, read as many interviews and write-ups as I could in the ones from when, before this movie came out and as it came out. Yeah. The review in Fangoria for this movie was pretty, pretty scathing. Sure. Like, well, we were painted into a corner with that man in black thing. <laughs> that plus the fact that the writer said that he contacted people that worked i think he contacted the writers or the director i'm not sure exactly he said like filmmakers of part five and they couldn't give him any explanation they didn't know who that character was supposed to be they just put that man in black there to make some sort of mystery but they had no definite idea of who they wanted that to be even though they had a logo and everything even though they had the thorn logo <laughs> that he had to even look up himself the writer of part six said that he had to do his own research because the writers of part five couldn't tell him what that was <laughs> so that's where he started so his hands were very much tied I do it's think, like being in debt. Like he's right. trying to crawl out of the it hole. Is. How do we get out of this? Because I think he felt, from everything I gathered, he actually does commentary for the producer's cut. Um, I actually was able to watch the commentary that he did along with the uh, the person who did the score for part six. Oh, nice. Um, who was on his side? There's there's these camps in <laughs> yeah. part six. There's teams for sure. We'll get to that. <laughs> but he, the writer, felt like he needed to pick up all of these plot threads that didn't necessarily go anywhere, and he needed. He felt obligated to tie them all together and to make them make sense. That's a true super fan. Yeah, but in doing that, he over-explained everything, which. When you go back to the original, if you actually watch the original, you don't need any of it. Because he even explains stuff that he pulled out of the original that weren't meant as anything. Yeah. So we'll get to it as we talk about the differences between the cuts. Because I think the intention, the initial intention with the script versus the producer's cut, which was the pre-release cut that they screened to audiences that audiences didn't necessarily like that was the second stage and then the third stage was the theatrical cut that was mandated mostly by the executives from disney and miramax saying we need to make this something different so those are the three stages original <laughs> script producer's cut theatrical cut yes and I definitely, as we go on, I think you're going to know where we're leaning in and what team we're a part of. <laughs> and we also may be socially on the right side of history. But I just thought of something. Sure. Uh, getting into the film itself. Mm. And if you're okay with getting into the film itself yeah, yeah, yeah. right now a little bit. Sure. So constantly referencing, at least I have, been constantly referencing the Friday the 13th series throughout this series. It's relevant because these were they were coexisting at the time. And... Before this movie, I believe Jason Goes to Hell and The New Nightmare were the last things in those two franchises before this one came out. So that's the era we're in. Yes. And they both definitely turned both of those series on its head. Yes. Much in the same way this one does. So there's One that... real good, one real bad, as we've already yeah. talked about. And there's a big parallel there. Yeah. I have a similar comparison to the Friday series here, Chris. Okay. It's not 
overtly blatant, I don't think, because yeah. I can't remember a time where a female protagonist survived past like their second uh, appearance in the in the film. They sure. usually get killed early on. Friday the Thirteenth Part Two sets that precedent. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah, something that would be revisited in Halloween a few times. Yeah. And, you know, it'll just come back in subsequent films. Like, Nancy gets to live because she's not in every movie in Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street. There's, yeah. So there's an asterisk there. Yeah, she becomes the Loomis <laughs> of that universe in a way. Yeah, there, yeah, hey, I like that. There you go. So, yeah, the, the girl at the beginning of Friday the 13th Part 2 that survives Part 1 gets mm-hmm. killed at the beginning of the... So we're talking about the Jamie Lloyd character. Mm-hmm. She makes it through both of them. Yeah. But I think it's really only because she's a kid. Yeah. So by the time she's all adult-like and able to have the babies... She's supposed to be 16. When she has that baby. Yeah. yeah that's... Oh, man, that's awful. She's I mean, everything not about... An, not an adult. <laughs> everything about this is awful. Like, yeah. okay, so I was doing... I was going to do a whole diatribe initially how... Where it's just all Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Because this, like... Yeah, yeah, no. Because if you look at what Jamie went through... Yeah. We don't want to know. They tell us a lot, especially in the producer's cut. Uh, they tell yeah. us a lot about the how, when, and why. But if you're going to put her in there, I do need an explanation. Yeah. So, but my God. So she got kidnapped out of the jail? Okay. Yes. See, the timeline's getting all screwed up. Uh, in the producer's cut, she uh-huh. gets kidnapped during the Michael Myers uh, uh, emancipation from prison. Yes, when the man in black shoots everybody with a machine gun. Yeah, Tommy Gun. Yeah. So dumb. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's when, because. In the so we're gonna be doing a lot of in this cut in this cut in this so hopefully this kind of makes sense. Um, in the theatrical cut, there's not really this explanation of exactly what happened. There is a mention of Michael and Jamie went missing that night. She yes. was presumed dead. Um, I guess Michael was too. Yeah, Michael you know. was presumed dead too yeah. because there's the conspiracy that he's still alive amongst the townspeople yeah. of Haddonfield. Yeah. In the producer's cut. There is a dream sequence that Jamie has in the movie, about halfway through the movie, where we see clips of the end of five, actually footage from part five, mixed with new footage shot that shows Michael being dragged into this van and Jamie present there as well, so presumably being taken as well. And so, yeah, both movies begin (laughs) with this young girl who looks like she's probably around 20, find out she's supposed to be 16, is being pushed through these underground corridors with torches and whatnot and she's having a baby yeah and i initially was like do you really need the scrubs here because i mean you're in an underground layer of dirt and dust and smoke like just give me the cloaks don't give me the scrubs because clearly what are we pretending to not know here at this point once you're past the columns and why is she's in actual like you know regulation hospital attire yeah it's just it's just weird. But then I come we come to find out later that she's at like Smith's Grove. Yeah, the underground. <laughs> but they have a yeah, they have their own bat cave apparently. Yeah. So just like so the intention of this movie, um, in all edits was really to show that there was more going on in the movies we'd seen previously. So Smith's Grove was in the first movie, but unbeknownst to us at that time, all this stuff was underground and there was this thing going on at that time as well, but we're just finding out about it, um, what, like 15, 17 years later? Yeah. 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 And this is where, and I'm going to talk a lot about this in the Rob Zombie Halloween as well. Mm. There is so much explanation that it... To completely destroys the character of Michael it Myers. Does. I'll probably say this many times through this episode, yeah. but they really neuter 
and just kill off the illusion and yeah. the cool factor, if you will, for lack of a better term, yeah. of Michael Myers, where he's either a product of his surroundings and all this other bullshit, yeah. and it's not... That's a different way of killing the Michael character. Yeah, and yeah. it's not fantastic in any way. Yeah. It's not that cool case where... And it, it hurts Loomis's credibility, too. Like, yeah. it's like, you know, all the cool things that he says, all those speeches about yeah. him being dead inside... Well, apparently he was just put on pause yeah. because this cult controls him the whole freaking time, yeah. and I hate that so <laughs> much. Yeah, so the writer, he explains all his intentions for all this stuff, okay. and his intention wasn't necessarily... So, the gist of the movie that we're kind of talking around <laughs> is that there's this cult, the Cult of Thorn. It's the symbol that we saw on the man in black's wrist in the previous movie. I think it was on Michael's wrist too, yeah. when he was in the, the hermit's um, bunker or whatever. Yeah. I think we saw it reveal that. So we saw that a few times throughout part five Yeah, and it's all over the place in part six, but it's the, the mark of thorn. It's the curse of thorn. It's this ritual that the writer pulled from part two when they go to the school and talks about the ritual of Sam Hain yeah. and the sacrifices and whatnot. This is an explanation for all of that. It's tying it all together. And there's a little bit of Sam Hain, or a good amount of Sam mm -hmm. Hain going on in part three. Yeah, and so people speculate that like, the whole Stonehenge thing and all that is, is sort of being pulled into it, but yeah. the writer doesn't really say that that's, no. that's what that was. Even then, they're still trying to distance from Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But So the whole gist of the story is that this cult actually was behind everything from the start. It wasn't Michael. It wasn't a kid. It was a kid. But they were controlling this kid, and they formed this ritual to get inside his head to go and kill his sister and to kill his family. And that was going on before the opening shots of the first movie. That's why Michael killed his sister Judith. So the main thrust of the movie, and we're finding this out along the way, like that's the big reveal at yeah. the beginning of the third act in part six, is sure. that this is the Curse of Thorn. Sorry. The doctor, even though, I mean, it's important because <laughs> it's, we, if we get this out of the way, we explain the entire movie. Okay. So the doctor that Loomis walks with to his car in the first movie you remember that shot yeah. where he's like, well, someone taught him how to drive? <laughs> yeah. And that doctor is recast in part six. Yes. Same one, Dr. Wynn. Dr. Wynn, He yes. was now, retroactively, the man in black from part five. He's the man in black in this one. Yep. Why does he dress in black like that? Who knows? It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, the wherewithal he has to just, uh, first of all, Smith's Grove is a long way from Haddonfield. Yeah. Or it's at least, It's a know, good bus ride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. It's definitely not a taxi drive, no. uh, for sure. No. So it's like, it just, how'd you, how'd you happen? I have all these questions now. <laughs> when I find this out, like, how'd you happen upon Michael? Why Michael? Like, what's the deal? Yeah. Like, you just went over and like, oh, okay, this is a safe distance from where, where our backyard is. Let's uh, pick this one boy. At a, yeah, okay. That's the problem when you try to explain, <laughs> when you try to over-explain, all you're doing is raising more questions. Yeah. And this movie tries to explain so much the editing after the fact had a lot to do with a lot of the questions remaining in the theatrical cut but even in the producer's cut and i would assume even in the script which i haven't read it apparently it's been leaked online or whatever the original original script oh, okay um that's what he said in the commentary i don't know how true that is but even that version of the story still would have had too many questions why michael why in this movie the the cult of thorn is going after Laurie Strode's cousin's kid, Danny, 
Um, yeah, uh, they are. Even if that's not right, that's funny. <laughs> grooming him to be the next killer because. Once Michael kills off the entirety of his bloodline, which was Jamie, but for some reason they had her give birth so that now it's this baby. We'll get to that question in a minute. Because you have yeah. a big problem with the baby, yeah. and rightfully so. Yeah. Once he kills off those bloodlines, the power that he has, the supernatural ability to not be killed, yeah. goes away. Yeah. And they're going to transfer it into Danny so he can do it, and so he can kill the Strode family. Yeah. And then it, just this ending, endless cycle. But why? Why Michael? Why Danny? Why the baby? Why anything? Because they're not true men of the cloth, Chris. Because in The Exorcist, it's shown that you just go be like, give it to me. (laughs) And you can do it. Because you've been ordained and and you're legit. These guys are regular ass people, so they got to do it the hard way. They got to do rituals and have underground uh, satanic and sex cults and all that stuff. By the way, that's that's a nice parallel to Anton LaVey. People say Anton LaVey is like huge, like character of evil yeah. in, in in our actual real lifetime, sure. and but he actually just started the Church of Satan to get laid. I'm pretty <laughs> right. sure, in a much darker way, that's why this other cult exists. Yeah, because why would they? Okay, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's just the whole baby thing is completely unnecessary. It is once again. I and uh, so so that what I just sort of explained in that convoluted way you can't explain this with it being not convoluted it's a convoluted movie and there's way 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 too much tried to stuff in there to explain all this stuff so that's the basic plot of the movie that we figure out the first like the middle chunk of the movie is just a basic slasher and it's okay it's not a great 90s slasher but it's okay you were saying you were enjoying that part of it just because they kind of put themselves to sleep for a little bit almost yeah because it was control it was just michael kind of killing people in town sure it wasn't done artistically or terribly well but it was fine yeah um but the bookends are where it's really kind of garbagey and so you get this garbage waft coming through and, and infecting the middle. It's moldy bread <laughs> on a half-cooked burger. Yeah. but So that's the main plot. But the baby is this plot line. So, okay. In the theatrical cut, we don't know who the father of Jamie's baby is. And yes, it is Jamie from Parts 4 and 5, the character played by Daniel Harris. Put a pin in that. I'm going to get back to Daniel Harris in a moment. Sure. Because that's a big deal. And it's kind of like one of the whole this is all you need to know about this production yeah yeah this is that that's that's the burial right there yeah. for sure but so in the theatrical cut we don't know who is the father of the baby you can assume whatever is it dr Wynn? that's a pretty big assumption is it possibly michael that's another huge assumption in the producer's cut there's very little to assume because we see this uh the dream sequence going back to that again we see jamie remembering the ritual whatever ritual they were doing it's kind of out of like a rosemary's baby kind of thing sure um she's in she's got this crown of like flowers or whatever and she's laid down on this rock which is we find out underneath smith's grove in a white dress and they're showing all these things and we understand at this point that she is about to be impregnated because why else would they be showing this her legs are kind of spread apart we go to this shot up her crotch basically the next shot is michael walking by so like there's no ambiguity there like it's clearly stated that michael for some reason is the incestuous father of jamie's baby so why why like 
I think... Sorry, were you say something? No, I was going to say, <laughs> up until that one shot of Michael Myers, I was like, yeah. this is how Michael Jackson's first baby was born, actually. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's where it came from. It's just a different Michael. It was, yeah. It was in the news at the time. <laughs> how much you want to bet that that could be part of the reason Maybe. Why? I just... I'm, I'm putting a lot of good characters into this. We got Michael <laughs> Jackson. We got Harvey Weinstein. We got... Okay. I just have a real problem. So the, the point of the cult, their goal initially is that Michael needs to kill all of his bloodline for him to complete his service to them yes. or whatever, however you want to put it. And it like brings balance to the world somehow. Yeah, <laughs> sacrifice something or other, I don't know. This has been going on since yeah. the medieval times, sure. maybe even before that. Yeah, yeah. Fine, I get it. <laughs> I will roll with that if that's what you want to give to me. But Jamie was the last of his bloodline, so why did they create another part of his bloodline for him to kill? Like, what was the point of that? To keep killing more, because if, if he ain't killing, there's no Halloween movies, They, they never stated any sort of, like, number, like, you have to reach this quota of no. family murder. No, this isn't The Frighteners. Right. So <laughs> I wish it was, but <laughs> I wish we were covering that right now. The only thing that I can kind of glean from this, that the writer didn't necessarily say in his producer's cut, but he was talking about, like, an innocent death. And I assume that the baby was initially meant to be this pure, innocent being. Oh. That if he killed this pure, innocent being, it was somehow better. Oh. But that is never stated in any of the movies, yeah. and it's never even insinuated. That's the first I'm hearing of it. Yeah. So. And that's just me assuming and trying to pull that to try to make it make sense in my head. Okay. So that's not actually in the movies. No. Um, because in the producer... Uh, let's get to the end in a bit. I don't want to talk about that yet. That's going to be the finale, I think. <laughs> the last act is yeah. a big to-do. So, so since we're talking about Jamie... Oh, by the way, before we get to all that, okay. I'm going to interrupt you, Chris. All right. What is it about 90s elementary school age kids in mm. horror movies? Mm. And they all pulled them, like, as I think as extras from Full House. They all just look sure. demented. Right. Uh, like, they look like they're on their path to Satanism or killing or whatever. <laughs> and Danny's no exception. Yeah. The kid in New Nightmare. Uh, you know, those kind of, oh, that yeah. kind of look. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, obviously it's good casting. Yeah. But they all look like that. So it's ob it's real obvious from the get-go. When you see the first shot of that kid, you're like, well, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> it does that quite a bit, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it does. Like, especially in that time. And I guess they have to do something with them and empower them. Because they're obviously not going to, A, get killed. Yeah. Or kill. Because we they especially yeah. weren't doing that. They had that the option time. to do that. And they chose not to go that direction. Yeah. So... Um, just an observation yeah no and parallel to that i i have a problem with adult slasher movies that have kids as one of the main characters because it's not scary to me yeah. it's because you know they're probably not going to die unless it's like pet cemetery spoilers yeah. but that's not a slasher <laughs> so um and that's not a spoiler because it's like 30 plus yeah. year old material <laughs> Uh, but they're not going to die. They're not going to kill. So I'm never scared for the kids. It's yeah. not scary. It's yeah. it's just weird. Yeah. Um, it's like it works for something like Monster Squad because that's a kids movie. Yeah. Pretty much. Maybe the best kids movie ever. Yeah. It could and be. There are ways to do it, but that's not a scary horror movie. That's a mm -hmm. different type of movie. So I don't like it when they do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, even Friday the 13th, talking about that again, the, the part... Oh, the one that played Dudley uh, in different yeah. films. Part five. Yeah. Part five. Part yeah, five. Yeah. New so, beginning. So, 
I mean, the movie's... I like the movie fine. Yeah, and he's good in it. And he's really good in it, but I wasn't ever scared that he was going to get killed. Sure. So it's it's that kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. The kids... It was just... It was the type for that era, I suppose, yeah. that that kind of dead-eyed little kid, yeah. which typecast... Like, look at the brother and sister, like the Strode, like Tim and Beth. Oh. Like, I know you hated the, the guy, the oh. Tim guy. He is... I think I would give the award for the most generic exactly. character in the history of easily horror movies, yeah. but maybe even just film in general. Wow. You right. could probably find more basic characters in this guy, yeah. but you have to like really dig deep. Yeah. This guy is the worst. They were very... Both of those characters were very stock. Like, we just need two more bodies for this movie, and we need to move the plot along at this point we need to get it back to the house and they were the way to do that yeah i, I malika cod comes off really well in yeah. his commentaries yeah. and when i see him in interviews but obviously teenage malik is like hey dad you should put a biggest butthead joke in here <laughs> yeah hey and and here's the other thing about that that brother the mm-hmm. older brother yeah he just it's literally he just goes where the wind blows yeah. like if he needs to be this type of uh, sentiment he's doing that yeah. if he needs to be completely opposite He's a jerk one minute, and he's sympathetic the next minute, yeah. and you never know where he's coming from, yeah. and he's just bad. Like, it's just yeah. a non-fleshed-out character. He's just there to fill the role of whatever they needed. Yeah, to give a couple of catchphrases, the most generic-ass... This is, this is the stuff that Scream made fun of yeah. uh, only just a few months later yeah. by the same company. <laughs> and Exactly, yeah. And I think the time that this was being produced was the same time that Hellraiser Bloodline was being produced and that was the one where they went to space. Yeah. Isn't it weird that this studio pretty much kind of killed off and then revived horror movies in yeah. the same calendar year? Well, I think they saw like what happened with these and they were like, wait a minute. And then they saw Kevin Williamson's script and they were like, yeah. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, because thank you, and, Kevin Williamson. You know, I will not be thanking you on the next part. No, but I'm thanking you yeah. on this part because <laughs> yeah, the the slasher cycle, like the golden age of slashers, as I've seen it called at times, was way over by this point. Oh, it, yeah. it was it was done. It was dead. Yeah. And slashers were more ridiculous than ever. Ice Cream Man, The Dentist, like those kind of things, which are fun. And we love those movies. I love those movies because they're dumb and they intend to be dumb. Yeah. And they're fun and stupid. This one tried to be something else and it ended up just being not good. I, I, I know there had to be a point with those studios where they like said, wait a second. And I, I think I can tell you where it happened. Mm. And nothing, once again, nothing wrong with this movie on the surface. Mm. But when they were like, Wait a second. Did we just put Dr. Giggles in the theater? Yeah. <laughs> like, did that actually get a theatrical... I, my God, uh, it did. Yeah, 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 it did. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you it did. Okay. And so I'm just like, that might have been the point where like, all right, just video from now on. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it became a lot of that now. Yeah. And, you know, the disappointing box office returns of Fridays and, yeah. and Halloween's. Nightmare still did really well mm-hmm. in the box office, no matter how bad they got. Yeah. So that's when you know Freddy is kind of the king of it all. Yeah, because they had a really, really strong character. Because the slasher, the bad guy becomes the main character of these series, whether they want to or not. I'm not going to talk about Nightmare right now, because we'll do that when we do our Nightmare retrospective. But the fact that Robert England embodied that character, and he kept, even if the movies weren't very much in co- the same continuity... Yeah. That character was the same because it was Robert England, and yeah. that carried it. He was the draw. Yeah. Whereas and in these movies, you're having to reinvent with new characters, and it's, it just doesn't work. With different actors playing yeah. the guy each time. So yeah. that kind of, I mean, no disrespect to any of those guys, yeah. and especially kind of the, you know, multi part guys like your Kane Hodders and stuff yeah. like that. Like, there's a reason why kind of almost anyone can kind of step into that role. Yeah. 
So there is. So you got to put the the Friday movies and the Halloween on this side. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Anyway, just wanted to get into all of that so yeah. we could kind of hit the reset button on this movie. <laughs> well, we're talking about characters and casting, so let's talk about Daniel Harris because I do oh, want to talk yes. about her story leading into this because yes. I think it, like you said, it's emblematic of the problems with the movie that we very much. This is one of the best examples of a movie that I can think of where the problems on the set and in the editing room and the disagreements really affected what was produced and what was shown to people. Yeah. And there is no better example of that as Danielle Harris's almost role in this movie. She was set to actually, they put out a casting call for <laughs> Jamie Lloyd um, without her knowledge. Yeah. I, Cause I watched, there's an interview on the producer's cut of yeah. her just talking about everything that happened. Yeah. And you'll hear slightly different versions from different people depending on who's saying it. Sure. I think Malik al had said something about her very briefly. I don't think he really touched on it. Yeah, it was very um, brief. But... The, the writer said that he thought it was about money, um, which it sort of was, but it wasn't. Yeah. Danielle Harris, as she tells the story, she was told by her agent that there was a casting call for a woman uh, at least 18 years old or of 18 years old who looks like she could be the character of Jamie Lloyd, looks like Daniel Harris. Her her picture, Daniel Harris's picture, was on the casting call. And so, um, Daniel Harris... And it's not like she hadn't been doing movies at yeah, this point. She, she was in one of my favorite yeah. movies of all time, The Last Boy Scout. Yeah, yeah. And so, the thing was, from her, from what she said, they wanted to hire someone who was 18 because legally an adult, they could... She was able to work a full schedule, or whoever, they would be able to work a full schedule. Yeah. She's 17, she's a minor. Technically, yeah. she couldn't work that full schedule. Yeah. So she goes through this process. She wants to do it. She doesn't want anyone else to do it. She yeah. wants to, this is her role. Yeah, and when do you ever hear, like, you know, in some yeah. of these cases, people try to distance themselves from the horror franchise. Yeah. But she's actually like, hey, I've done these other things yeah. since then. But these movies did make me, and I realized that. So it's she's actually being her. really cool. Yeah, she's yeah. important. The character is important enough to her where she, and I don't think it's an ego thing. Mm -mm. She was like, no, I want to take ownership back of this character. Yeah. Win, lose, or draw. You know, like, this needs to happen. Yeah. And I totally get that. And that's so rare in horror movies. Usually, yeah. the, usually they just don't want anything to do with it. Exactly. Oh, they're, they're past it. They're above it now. Yeah. And so, so she was telling about how... In the years after part five, she kept waiting because she, she became good friends with Mustafa and Malik Akkad. Yeah. She was talking about how she like would go to their house. She still remembers like the the smell of uh, Mustafa Akkad's pipe smoke in his study. Like she was part of the family basically. Wow. So she was waiting. I didn't know that she was waiting for this new movie to come yeah. out, and it never came about. So and that's how she found out about it was her agent telling her that they were. That had a casting call. That's insane. So she gets in contact with them, and there's all these talks back and forth. They come to an agreement for her to be in the movie, but to do that, to play, for her to do the business side of it, she has to get emancipated. She yeah. has to become legally an adult so that they can put her on the same schedule or whatever yeah. as an 18 year old. And child actors have done this a lot. Yeah. Uh, Corey Feldman did it, yeah. Gary Coleman did it. It's, it's a thing. Yeah. So she goes through all of this, whatever, legal hoopla, whatever. Yeah. She spends a lot of money. She spends a few thousand dollars. Yeah. She gets it done. She is emancipated. 
she sees the script she's like oh this isn't really what i wanted to do but she's still gonna go through with it yeah um and she gave them a super realistic quote from what i understand yeah she didn't really talk about the money side of it so much in the interview i saw I've seen articles online, yeah. and so take it for what it's worth, that she only asked for $5,000. Yeah, to Just, cover her uh, legal costs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So th- that means the character is still important to her. Yeah. And so <laughs> they don't want to give her even that. They don't want to cover whatever legal costs. They don't care. Apparently, she for was a company going, that's owned by Disney. Apparently, she was going through the company. She wasn't really talking necessarily directly to, certainly not Mustafa Akkad. Sure. But not anyone else directly in the uh, production of the movie because the writer has said that he wanted her in it. That he was fighting to get her into the movie. Um, But she was talking about these phone calls that she kept having with these people. (laughs) I want you to kill. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But basically, long story long, I guess, is that they were going to pay her scale or whatever, whatever that was at that time. For the part, because as she said in this interview, the woman that she talked to on the phone, some accountant or someone, I don't know who it was, she didn't say. That's like going through insurance companies. Yeah, (laughs) said that this is a minor role, you get killed in the first act, so we're not paying you any more than scale. And so Danielle Harris was like, all right, well, I guess they don't care about me, so I guess I don't care about this movie. And that was it. She felt, so yes, it started to be about money, but really, she felt betrayed yeah. at that point. And you could see in the interview, this is like, the DVD was put out like 2014 or something yeah, in there. Yeah. Um, so it was, this was more than a decade after it happened, and she still seemed pissed about it. Sure. So, I, I would be. Yeah. I mean, you gotta stand on principle. You can't respect yourself. You know, that whole yeah. generic thing. You gotta be able to look yourself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I do that for myself. Yeah. Like... That's why that's why the hello formality thing is so important to me. Yeah. If people don't want to treat me like a human yeah. being, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Right. And that sounds like what they did to her. It, it absolutely is, and that's exact exactly what yeah. she felt like. So I, I should have put a spin on that because Dan, you know, it's, in the movie it's Danny. Yeah. I want you to go kill Danielle. Yes. <laughs> I want you to go kill. <laughs> go kill the yeah, like, pretty you know, much. Harvey Weinstein. Man, what I wouldn't have given, like even today, I wish the well, we talk about that later. But I wish the new Halloween had been like Jamie as the shape. Oh, man. That'd have been so good. Oof. Pick up after pick up after four. Yeah. Like ignore ignore everything after four yeah. and have Jamie be the shape. We could have a real interesting I think the kids call it canon today. Yeah. We have a real interesting canon where it's like one, two, four yeah. and the new shit. <laughs> yeah. Now it you know, obviously we're yeah. gonna have just four. Yeah. Is what they're telling us now. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. But yeah. So, so yeah. So all of that I mean, I think it's an important story to say because that kind of shows the miscommunication and the intentional miscommunication and discommunication between the writer, the director, the producers, or the executives, yeah. I should say. And even, uh, obviously, the actors aren't a fan of Joe Chappelle either, the yeah. director, because uh, multiple actors on the set have now outed him over the years. Saying, uh-huh. He audibly said, I don't even like this series. Yeah. I don't even like these kind of movies, maybe even. I'm just doing this because I got a contract. And he now. didn't like the Dr. Loomis character either. Yeah. yeah. So much so that, uh, okay, so here's an interesting parallel between both cuts. Mm-hmm. Theatrical cut, the voiceover is done by and introducing Paul mm-hmm. Rudd. Yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> t- we feel like we it's are, weird when it's we taking this long. 40 minutes yeah. in, we haven't <laughs> talked about Paul Rudd, but we'll get to it. Yeah. Okay. Producer's cut. 
the narration is done by Donald Pleasance. Yeah. So right there, that's that's a yeah. Joe Chappelle call. That has to be right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they were just saying he was, you know. So they basically implied that he's a piece of shit. So I'll just say it. Uh, so there's that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, okay. For fans of garbage people, who <laughs> is, is isn't Joe, a garbage person in this movie, Chris? Is Joe Chappelle a garbage person? Well, yeah. That's kind of that might be our first <laughs> offset garbage person. Well, of course, Harvey makes the cut. Yeah. Well, How come Anton LaVey's the best uh, off-screen <laughs> character we got? Okay. Uh, so, Joe Chappelle. In the movie, Chris, yes. who isn't a garbage person? I think that's actually the list you have to make versus the other, because everybody else is just kind of... Uh, the mom isn't... Deb- she, she is not. Deborah yeah. Strode is not a uh, garbage person. The The girlfriend, Beth, isn't a garbage person. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Denise Richards turned that role down because she not said really. she was just a pair of boobs. Uh, and that, that's a horror generic term to say because she did have more to say in the yeah, film. Yeah, she she was. But she she better, switched too. She was a better character than Tim was. She was, yeah. but much like Tim, I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's you know yeah. it was sexually transmitted. But her personality <laughs> shifted from scene to scene, though, and I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhat. So. Uh, Kara is not a garbage person. Tommy isn't. Um, Danny isn't really. He's just a kid. He's a dumb kid. No, no. Um, but everybody else is, aren't they? Yeah, the oh, dad is John. The, John the shock Strode. jock is the shock. Oh, yeah. don't get it. I, I almost don't even want to bring him up. The other reason I would bring him up is because obviously there's a parallel to Howard Stern. Yeah. Although I think he's more like a Tom Likas yeah. for anybody that actually yeah. is a talk radio fan from back in the day. Yeah. However, uh, they did say that they offered this role up to Howard Stern. Yeah. This is the second time Howard's turned down an opportunity to play himself in another oh, really? movie. Ford Fairlane was the first one. Oh, wow. Yes, I do know these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was definitely a Howard Stern fan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he turned this one down. Yeah. He used to make fun of these movies on his show anyway. Sure. Robin's the horror fan. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, so, but the only thing I want to say about the Shock Jock character is that's the same guy that's the shitty dude in Footloose that offered Kevin Bacon drugs in the high school. Oh, really? And then got him in trouble at the beginning of the movie. So I was like, that guy looks familiar. And I looked him up. I was like, shit, that's the guy that has the joint in his hand that yeah. they flush. <laughs> so... Yeah, went a long way for that. Yeah. But uh, he's absolutely a garbage person. And John Strode might be one of the least... I mean, not that the guy isn't a good actor. Yeah. But his character, John Strode, yeah. is one of the worst characters in the history of any of these films. Yeah. Because he has no redeeming social value at all. Yeah. And now this fan theory implication really puts him in the garbage. Yeah, I don't buy the fan theory, though. And the the writer... So the theory... Does he address that in the commentary? He does, yeah. Oh, let's hear about it. The fan theory that you're referring to is... We know that Kara, who is... So, all right, Deborah and John are very on the nose, the parents of the Strode clan. John is the brother of Lori's dad. So... John, also works for Strode Realty, yeah, so that's a tie-in so, to the first one. Yeah, exactly, because they couldn't sell the Myers house, the Strode family, the brother of the original Strode father in, in the original movie, live in the Myers house now because he could never sell it. In the original, original house. The one that's abandoned yes. at, at in modern day of part yes. one. Yes, yes. Okay, where he did the first killing. Yes, Okay. so John Deborah Strode, parents. Tim is the son. Kara is the daughter. Danny is the grandson of John and Deborah. Okay. And Kara is, has the little boy. She apparently moved out. She had to come and come back. She's older. She's in like college at this point. Yeah. It's like at this local junior college that she goes yeah. to. Um, the fan theory that you're referring to is that in the 
scene where the whole family is basically just explaining their characters. That's all that scene is for, is yeah. to say this this character is this. Yeah. Um, there's the argument between the dad and Kara, and the implication that some people draw from this is that John impregnated his own daughter and that Danny, the little boy, is his son as well as his grandson. Do you think that that's such a far-fetched fan theory in the sense of what we're talking about with how, you know, Jamie's character gets pregnant? Yeah. I mean, you know, if they could have gone even more interested and made John a part of the, the cold of thorn. <laughs> no. I mean, it, it wouldn't have... At that point, it wouldn't have even phased me. I'd be like, all right, that's whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. But You would expect to see him if he had lived through the movie. Yeah. So basically, John, the first time we see John, he's yelling at kids. Yeah. And he goes inside and he calls kids like bastards or something. Yeah. And he sits down and he grumbles at his wife for something. His wife is very meek, mousy. Very like, she mousy. doesn't say anything. She yeah. tries to slide 20 bucks to Kara. Yeah. And her, the dad is like, you always give her money and starts yelling at everybody. Yeah. So he's just utter garbage. He is yeah. made of garbage. Yes. And... He, at the end, he with a, like... With a Rush Limbaugh book up his butt at the <laughs> right. same time. He ends up slapping Kara because she says... She says something to him, like, like there's nothing in this house, or... Yeah, like, he calls the, his grandson a bastard yeah. right to both oh, of their yeah. faces. And then she stands and says, there's only one bastard in this yeah. house. Know who that is. Yeah, and so he slaps her. Yeah. People draw from that that, like I said, he is the father of yeah. her. And that's where the tension comes from. But there's that scene in the producer's cut that is what where the fan theory got started. Yeah, he has a picture of his daughter in the desk. So his wife calls him because she's scared because Michael's in the house. Or she was, it was I don't even think she knew at that point. Loomis no, it, had shown no, up. No, Loomis had told her, yeah, yeah, everything that happened in that house. So, yeah. and um, he's drinking out of this bottle and he has a picture of his daughter. And yeah, people have pictures of their family. I know, so. I know. It's just, but you know, I'm not... I'm not so quick to dismiss this one. Obviously, they didn't want to go forward with it because it's not in the film. I just think it's interesting, plus with all this other weird shit going on. It's it's an interesting fan theory. Yeah. Um, the reason I dismissed it, first, I didn't even think of that because there's no insinuation to me in the movie that it's a thing. Especially not in the theatrical case, yeah. what I'm getting so, at. Yeah. And also, the director had said that his idea of their backstory, he had these, like, complete backstories for like all the characters he had like a, a bible that he'd written of it <laughs> and he literally said that kara was just she had a child out of wedlock okay. it, it wasn't his kid okay so, so the screenwriter had never, no intention there was never that intention okay. the intention the there was never an intention for michael to be the father of jamie's baby either wow. that that was just something that happened to come together on screen because they never explained it they're writing a lot of this movie as they go along, or they they're, they're punching the script up and just coming up they're with new things. They're just making stuff up as they go. As they go yeah. along, and the theatrical cut is so damning yeah. and so blatant as to that going on, yeah. which is why the the hardcore fans like the producers cut so much, because yeah. at least there's a little bit of continuity in it, yeah. enough to not make it just so pissed. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, do you want to just like get to some of the like direct differences between the two cuts and maybe that'll lead to the end because yeah. we're, we're building yeah. up to that i think yes so, so we uh, talked do, about do you have a chronological uh, bit on this I, I wrote down some of the okay. the biggest differences and there are tons of differences between the cuts yeah, they're we'll not start with the big. narration we started with the narration yeah. so that kind of changes the feeling of the opening yeah because when you hear 
Donald Pleasance's voice, you reckon automatically recognize him as Dr. Loomis. Yeah. When you hear Paul Rudd talking over it, it's like, who's this guy? Yeah, exactly. And you have to be told who he is because he's never been in a movie before. No, yeah. But we're supposed to know this character. Yeah. Um, so that was really... He did... The writer had hoped... He talked about a lot of his like um, ideal casting. He mm. had hoped to put the actor that played Tommy in the original in this movie yeah. not as Tommy but as someone that Paul Rudd's Tommy came across in the middle of the movie oh. he wanted because I heard they reached out to him yeah he wanted him to play the guy at the bus depot that tells Tommy <laughs> like explains that the bus came in from wherever right. and you just missed the bus sir yeah <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> yeah so yeah there's that the biggest one of the biggest differences between the two cuts is about the Jamie character. Oh my gosh! I mean, so, how yeah. we watched it not back to back because yeah. we just you just yeah, can't. I didn't want to watch it again yeah, right we, away. We had to separate like at least three or four yeah. nights. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you got to sleep at least three or four yeah. times to get back into this one. So it's interesting because hearing the writer ha- watching it theatrical versus producers versus hearing I've watched it three times now. Jeez. <sighs> You're hearing, a very brave man. So. Hearing the writer talk about what he intended, it's three different things. Yeah. So in the theatrical cut, Jamie runs away from the dungeon under the hospital. Yeah, with and, a massive assist from yeah, one of the nurses. Yeah, yeah, she steals a truck from this dude having a drink in the rain for no reason, yeah. which the director laughed about. He said, that's stupid. Like, I didn't write that. <laughs> um, like, the truck guy that gets his head twisted? Yeah. Like, why is he in the rain? Like, why is he there? <laughs> So she gets away. She ends up. She goes through the bus depot where she oh, stashes sorry. her kid. Because it's a ball of thunder ripple. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, she stashes her baby at the bus depot. She gets back in the truck and ends up in a barn for some reason. <laughs> and in the theatrical cut, she is brutally murdered. She is pushed onto like these this fork thing, and then he turns on this machine that like yeah. is that whatever. like something that like helps separate hay or something? Probably, is, yeah. is that what that is? I guess. Yeah. I, don't I don't. I don't know farm stuff. Yeah, right. Hey, speaking of barns, isn't that the same barn from the beginning of four? I mean, if you're talking about where we are in the town, that could be that barn. You may take that together, too. Hey, yeah. Um, But. Super fans would do that. Yes. In the producer's cut, (laughs) Jamie is stabbed once. I think in the gut or in the back. I can't remember. Well, not on a really not show. on a big artery that would kill you because because yeah. uh, yeah. she doesn't die. She doesn't die in the producer's cut. We find out really quickly that she is in critical condition, but she's alive. Yes, Loomis ends up getting brought back into this. Loomis is retired, by the way, yes. at this point. Uh, Doctor Wynn brings him in, which is another question that we'll get to in a second. <laughs> he brings him in, and they end up seeing Jamie. She's unconscious for most of the movie. Yeah. About halfway through the movie, we talk about in the producer's cut. There's that dream sequence where we see her getting impregnated, probably by Michael. Yeah. And that after that sequence, there is the man in black who we haven't been revealed to yet. Just shoots her in the head. Yeah, and that's like halfway through the movie. Yeah. So the whole point in that version of the cut was just to have that dream sequence to give a little bit more explanation, I guess. Yeah. In the original script. Jamie lived till the end of the movie. She was in the underground hospital area when Tommy and Kara and the kids were all there. She helped them escape. Um, so it was all tied like together. A full circle thing, Jamie huh? did die in the movie, but she died at the very end, actually playing a role in helping them to escape. Wow, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty deep by comparison. Yeah. So those are the three different versions. Why the man in black killed Jamie? 
because isn't Michael supposed to kill Jamie? Doesn't that help their cause that Michael kills? The whole point of the Thorn Cult is to have Michael kill his bloodline, but I'm, then Wynn does it anyway. I'm holding my hands up in the air yeah. as you say this. I don't know. It's good radio, but no, yeah. it's good for me. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a big shrug right now. Yeah. The An epic shrug. I'm smiling to which too. we can't answer this question. <laughs> it's, that is, now, that's a big flaw in the producer's cut. I well, say, yeah. I'm, that's something that actually got cut out, obviously, other than the actual yeah. that should have been cut out. That should never have been in yeah. there. Maybe she just dies. Because here's the thing. If she just dies in the hospital, yeah. Michael still gets the kill. Yeah. And that makes the most sense. But the gore is massively, you know, There's a lot over of the, the top and tacked top. on in yeah. this one. And not that it's not neat looking and visually whatever. Yeah. But, man, night and day. The Jamie death versus the Jamie non-death. Yeah. Well, actually, I guess both deaths, if you will. It's just so, like... Poof. And so even the writer was saying that the... And Malika Cod was saying that the producer's cut is better, and it's what they prefer, but it's yeah. not what they wanted to show. Sure. It wasn't their finished product. Sure. The director said many times throughout it, and this was one of those things where he never wrote that. That's not what he wrote. That was something that the director decided to do... Because he apparently didn't care about the script or the plot. He was just... He was having to answer to the Disney execs yeah. as well as just trying to get this yeah. made in time. Because the production was really rushed. He yeah. said he had like a few weeks, I think, from yeah. pitch to writing to final script. Yeah. And then they just threw the script out anyway. Some of these scripts get written under massive duress. Yeah. Like the, the that one we talked about with the strike happening. Yeah. And just meeting release date quotas yeah. and all this other stuff. Which I mean, is so, so much to do. Because apparently Danny Farrens, the writer, had become... He was introduced to Mustafa Akkad like in 1990 or something. Like five <laughs> years before the movie was released. So, I don't know. It's yeah. just all weird. And you hear stories about Joe Chappelle sending tons of people home. And then they yeah. just and he has like a couple of people on yeah. his team that will do whatever he says. That's, and yeah. they just shoot a bunch of shit that's new. Then they're like, what is this? And... The, it was too late, but he finally kind of got canned by the end of the production, from what I understand. The sense of, yeah. like, they're like, well, we're just going to try to figure out what the we're hell we can do with this. It, yeah. yeah. But so, there's no going back at that point. The other, before we get to the end, which is the biggest difference, the other big differences are really, like, some of the, I think some of the sequence is a little bit different, especially yeah. with Loomis and Wynn. Yeah. Like, their scenes are moved to different spots in the movie. Yeah. Um, so, I think it does make more sense. Like we said, the kills are a lot bloodier. Uh, the dad's head explodes, I think, in the theatrical cut where he just gets kind of shocked in yeah. the producer's cut. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot less blood. The One of the things that I noticed right away, the opening of the movie, I said, whoa, welcome to the 90s. Because it's that... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you know, the if you've seen any 90s era music video, then you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's the different colored lenses, yeah. the uh, weird distortion where it looks like they're twisting the lens sideways. So the, the screen is stretched and twisted yeah. in different ways. Yeah. And the flashes, flash, 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 yeah. flash, flash. I call it the Sam Bayer effect, which yeah. I like Sam Bayer videos, but yeah. the video guy, I think he does do films now yeah. and has done. Uh, probably better stuff than Joe Chappelle has yeah. done for sure. But yeah, it's just so, so 90s. More right? than anything else, that dates the movie so bad. And yeah. that was one of the things that they added to the theatrical cut versus the the producer's cut is very straightforward. There's some real, like, especially in the underground sequences, like the Dutch angles where they tilt the camera. Like, <laughs> it's almost sideways at points. Which, There's that upside down shot in part five. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. But, um, it's already creeping in by that point. That, that was one of the things where they felt like they needed to... That and the bloody kills were something that they took from the test audience 
where they weren't they were used to i guess fridays and whatnot yeah. and they wanted more blood or yeah. that one crowd wanted more blood yeah. but this is a perfect example of you don't necessarily need to listen when they say that if yeah. if what they say is completely contrary to what you tried to make yeah. then you probably don't need to listen to that right <laughs> there's that famous bill hicks joke where he talks about how the test audiences hated the lesbian love scenes in basic instinct <laughs> and he goes man i gotta tell you my finger is not on the pulse of America because <laughs> that's the only reason I went to that movie was because that's what they advertised to me. Right. Yeah. So, hey, yeah, but also, why is there test audiences supposedly? And this is a quote from yeah. other people in the film, and I think even the uh, main actress, yeah, fourteen and fifteen year old teenage boys yeah. who legally are not allowed to see this film. Yeah. So why is that? I mean, I mean, 18 to 49, I think, is yeah. still a decent enough demographic to pull. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah, and it's weird that they actually made it a harder R by listening to them yeah. than it was initially supposed to be. I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to do this on the show ever again, Chris, but I actually did partake in a test audience. Oh, yeah? Once. Yeah. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> Go to the sideline here. Did you ever, like, have that guy come up to you with a clipboard <laughs> that wasn't trying to take you away in a like van? At a mall? Yeah. At a mall and yeah. say, hey, and you blow him off? Yeah. One time we were just real bored. Me and my friend was said, "Yeah." So they showed us un- unfinished rough trailers of the Three Musketeers live action movie. <laughs> that's that's cool. In that little, uh, there's a little office area by where the the movie theater yeah, was. So obviously right. it's connected to. It. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we did that. And yeah. I was probably fourteen or fifteen, probably thirteen or fourteen actually. Yeah. So all I said was, "I want to see more Rebecca De Mornay," and I literally <laughs> said that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Did you see more of Rebecca De Mornay when the movie came out? I feel like she still got a raw deal in that film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, women of that era are kind of unappreciated. Anyway, yeah. you just fight for them and want to have sex with them later. But that's, uh, but anyway, I just wanted to mention that, that I was in one of those. So nice. it is, I, I believe them when they say it was 14 year old boys, yes, is yeah. all I'm trying to say. That's probably the only people they can get to stop is yeah. people that are like, oh, this will be funny. And I'll say, I'll say it as a 14 year old and as a, a man of my age now. I really loved when John Strode got killed because that the lightning flashes from the basement area reminded me of the Burbs. <laughs> it does, yeah. So thumbs up there. Yeah, there are good things. We've been crapping all over this movie, but there are things that I think are okay. Yeah, have um, we confused this audience so <laughs> much? I bet you like, want to get ready for the last big confusion. <sighs> we're going to talk about the last act, aren't we? Yes. Okay, let's we're, do it. We're there. Okay, so. The theatrical cuts. All this stuff with the cult and whatnot has taken place. There, there's this big thing where everybody converges on the house across from the Myers house, which is now the Strode house, where the the woman renting the room to Tommy was apparently babysitting Michael when he went to murder his sister back in uh, sixty whatever three sixty three. And so she's the worst babysitter yes, ever. Yes. Of all the babysitters killed, like, she probably should have been one of the first. Yeah. Because she was part of the cult. Yeah. But, okay, so that's the same in both cuts, pretty much, more or less. She doesn't talk the whole movie. Right, until she starts telling the story about the boogeyman. Yeah, then it turns into the Garfield special. Yes. (laughs) Um, There's that great scene where Kara jumps out the window, like, immediately. (laughs) That is the best, my favorite part of the whole film. She, like, because she sees the cult and, like, everyone's being taken, so she runs upstairs like they always do. You're expecting the Olivia O'Day thing from a thriller where she's, like, looking side to side, where I have no eggs, like, no hesitation. None. Just out of there. 
<laughs> so, and that was a bit of an homage to the original movie where Michael falls out from the second floor window. Because yes. there, there's the down shot on Kara just like that. Yes. Next shot, she's gone. Yes. Um, she's been taken. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's really good. So where has she been taken? Oh, Depends on the cut you watch. Oh. So, the final act of the theatrical cut, I'll try to keep this as brief as possible, yes. is she's taken to Smith's Grove. And there apparently are other people with uh, that have been experimented on of something. Yes. Yeah, there's I said experimented on that. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's some fetuses in green liquid. Yeah. Um, but this movie's all about like mystical rituals, right? <laughs> yeah. Up to this point. Yeah. But now we've got science. Now it's all about science. So, <laughs> Mr. DNA shows up. Uh, <laughs> There's, I think I think uh, reanimators in there somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. There's there's DNA stuff on the wall. I'm talking about pictures of DNA. Okay. On the wall. Yeah. And then, <laughs> well, we, we had to. You did have to specify yeah, I because yeah. I did mention Harvey yes. Weinstein earlier. I'm going to keep trashing him. There is so the baby, Jamie's baby, that makes no sense. Makes less sense in this one because they've taken the baby, Doctor Wynn. Uh, has taken the baby in to be experimented on. Yeah. What are these experiments? I don't know. Well, no the, clue. The writer doesn't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> if you went and asked Joe Chappelle what that was, he wouldn't know. I don't know. It would just I be like care, man. the man in black from part five. I don't know. Dude, I was writing Phantoms by that yeah, time. Right. Um, so that happens, and then Michael shows up and murders all the doctors. Because they needed a bigger, bloodier sequence in the movie. Mm-hmm. 90s era lighting, green light flashes, all this oh, yeah. stuff happens. It's, Fast cuts. It's disco blade yeah, time now. <laughs> I like that, actually. <laughs> I'd watch that movie. And then Tommy and Kara... Was Danny with him? He must have been in, in that He's last He's hiding sequence. in the corner, yeah. actually. Yeah, 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 he was. Because Michael was kind of yeah. stalking him. They all end up in this boiler room or something. Yeah. And well, because, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be. Good, good scares, yeah. uh, historically. Yeah. 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 And he shot up, uh, Michael is shot up with tranquilizers, and then Tommy just beats him with like a pipe or something. Yeah. That's it. That is uh, the Loomis strategy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on board with uh, it. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's a yeah. callback to five. Yeah. So, mm. yeah i I liked the screenwriters like thing like I wanted to make Tommy the Van Helsing of Michael Myers yeah. after yeah. a while because he's inheriting the Loomis thing because yeah. unfortunately by default he would have to if they were going to continue on with it because yeah, Donald Pleasance dies his, after production. Well, and it, they knew his health was bad. He was yeah. seventy five, I think, at the sure. time they were filming it. Yeah, and his health was a reason why he wasn't in the movie as much. Yeah, but he was in the theatrical cut even less because uh, of the director. I was gonna say Chappelle didn't like him, so yeah. he, it's just a slap in the face. Yeah, proof that he's not a fan. Yeah, proof that he doesn't know actors or yeah, acting yeah, or there's also good that. movies. Yeah, but Michael is bleeding like this green goo. <laughs> And then Tommy and Kara and Danny and the baby, they're outside. And then there's Dr. Loomis. Yeah. Like, where was he? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> um, oh he, he had been knocked out in Dr. Wynn's office. And oh, I guess yeah. he's just now he recovering. Just, he just got up and found him somehow. But yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, I got something else to do. You, you four go away. And he goes back in. And there's a close-up on the mask that is not on anybody's body. It's just the mask on the floor. And you hear Loomis kind of screaming, and that's the end of the movie. Hey, you see, you see the house, which is a callback to one. Yeah, and a pumpkin. That's, and that's, that's it. That's it's not even movie. a fade. It's just like, blip. 
it's fuck you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is, they might as well have had Joe Chappelle yeah. have his pants pulled down right. while giving the middle finger under his <laughs> little fruit bowl there. Right. That is pretty much the ending I saw, I think. Yeah, and that was the ending that I knew up until watching the producer's cut. Yeah. So, as you can tell, we don't like that version. <laughs> the producer's cut, okay, jump out the window, she's there, she's gone. Loomis and Tommy go to Smith's Grove together. Yes. They they infiltrate Smith's Grove really easily. Like there's yeah, this, there's no security yeah, here. They for they're they're housing the most famous serial yeah, killer yeah. in their timeline. Yeah. And they have very lack security. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so Loomis goes. He doesn't off. like spiral staircases. That's how they're <laughs> right. able to contain him. Actually, <laughs> right. I just really like uh, Loomis goes off to confront Wynn, and that stuff happens again, um, pretty much the same fashion. Yeah, it's the same fashion. He's like, "No, you're. I still want to offer you the job. Yeah. <laughs> like he still thinks he's going to join his cult." Somehow. In this one, though, yeah, there is that thing where Wynn starts to saying, "I brought you out of retirement." Because I need you to take over for me. I it's don't like, this really... is what you wanted. You wanted yeah. to control Michael. I'm giving you the keys yeah. to the car. So <laughs> Like, he really thought, like, in his delusional head yeah. that he's actually right. So I can kind of get behind yeah. the fleshed out version here yeah. a little bit. Um, <laughs> Tommy, meanwhile, is in this humongous, brightly lit hallway. And there's one of the cult members... He just doesn't see him. I he love just this. does not see him. There's nothing else. There's no doors. There's it's just a, light. There's one of those big uh, anti-theft yeah, retail little, mirrors like, on the, uh, on the uh, concave or not concave, but the, the mirrors that you can see like wide areas. Yeah, and hospitals and retail stores yeah. have it for uh, different reasons. But he should have been able to see. Yeah, that's what it's for. Tommy coming yeah. down the hall, slightly stalking him, but not yeah. too hardcore hiding. Yeah, like no, he's that's not even a real him. sentence. <laughs> but I don't think that's that's what it says in the script too. I right, think I'm it's sure. th- it's that yeah. Uh, cohesive. Uh, yeah, yeah he's just... <laughs> so basically, Tommy goes and knocks that druid or whatever he is out, yeah. steals his clothes, that big goofy um, robe yeah. thing, with the hood. And so Tommy finds the underground section of Smith's Grove in the theatrical cut. We never see that again. That's just in the first part of the movie. We right. never see it again. Yeah. In this one, they do kind of bring that back. The ritual's going on. Now the ritual, it's not the same ritual, but Kara is dressed in the same kind of white robe yeah. and flower head thing yeah. that Jamie was in her dream. But still, this still still makes no sense in retiring Michael Myers no. as a killer because mm-hmm. now they're going to continue this bloodline even further. Well, the intent of this, um, the baby is also there. Yeah, so I know. what I gathered from that is that Michael was going to kill the baby. Okay. Michael was going to be done. Danny was also there. Danny had been taken by Wynn. Danny was going to kill his mom, and that was going to be his initiation to absorb Michael's power. And then Michael would be out, Danny would okay. be in. So they weren't going to impregnate her in the ritual? I don't ritual. think so. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah, I seem to recall thinking that, but I yeah. just, it's so... It wasn't explained. You had to... Yeah. All of these things that I'm explaining were explained in my own brain. They okay. didn't tell me this, so um, you have to gather that on your own. But long story short, the, the old lady's there. We see some other druids and whatnot. Tommy gets Kara and the baby and Danny, and they run. Tommy has figured out that these runes that he's had, the, the remember the thorn symbol? Yes. He has runes, and he figured out that runes can control Michael. They can control him to do bad things, but they can also, yes. it's it's black magic versus white magic. Yeah. So It was sitting next to his 20-sided die this whole time, exactly. and he didn't yeah. realize that it. That was his dice bag that he had it, those it, in. Yeah. And so they're being chased through the hospital, 
Tommy tells them, go, I got this. And so Kara meets up with Loomis and they go up the elevator. Tommy sets out the runes in a circle and that freezes Michael. Like, mm. just that's it. He's frozen. Sweet. <laughs> so Tommy leaves. Yeah. And then Wynn comes and Wynn's like, oh no, like they control you now, Michael. And then we cut away and there's that same scene where Loomis tells them to go away. I got stuff to do. Yeah. So we actually do see what happens to Loomis in this version. Yes, we do. Tommy and the rest of them leave. Loomis goes back. We see a figure laying in the middle of the runes with the Michael Myers mask on. Takes the mask off. It's Wynn. Oh, no. Yeah. What happened to Michael? Oh, it was him this whole time, right? <laughs> right. No. Okay, no. <laughs> we see this transference of power, but it's from Wynn to Loomis. Yeah. So Loomis, like, pulls down his shirt sleeve, and you see that tattoo of the thorn symbol appear but, on his arm yeah. it's like um, Fades in. Yeah, it's like demon one. knight style it just yeah. appears on him now he's passed yeah. it on even though loomis didn't yes. want it he screams the scream that he does here is the scream that we hear of him being killed in the theatrical cut yes and then the last i think is the last shot of the movie is of a new man in black walking down the hallway and it's yeah. supposed to be michael dressed mm-hmm. up as the man in black as he walks away yeah so, well, that's a better wardrobe for him yeah yeah, yeah. You so contemporize <laughs> i think I don't know. He's going to walk the earth now. The... <laughs> That's what it implies. Like, like Demon Knight. Yeah, yeah he's kind of like, I'm done killing. Yeah, right. I'm going to go see what's going yeah. on around here. He ends up being the the bounty hunter from Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, both endings are bad. Sure. The... One's, one's like, it's like a two on a ten scale versus yeah. a one. Yeah. <laughs> At least the producer's cut sort of attempts to explain stuff and it ties up some stuff yeah but there are still tons of questions the baby the everything the silliness so we've been talking about this i want to kind of wrap it up because we've yeah. been going on a yeah. long time we're, about we're kind of breaking my rule a little bit but yeah. i think that's a sign of how two good... movies yeah we are talking about two movies like yeah. we did on yeah. part two yeah. but i think that also is kind of if you have to go this long that kind of explains how good your movie is because <laughs> you can only say it's great for so long that's sometimes true. yeah so Basically, you could almost score these with the, length, the length of the episode. Let's see. We can maybe see if that works. I'll, I'll see. I'll, yeah. I'll check it at the end of this. Um, so wrap it up, Chris. So wrapping it up, the writer said his intention was never for the cult to control Michael. Michael was supposed to have somehow been controlling of the cult, hmm. necessarily, in that they were following him. He wasn't following them. So that what? was his intention. The director did not apparently get that. It should have been called The Cult of Michael Myers. Yeah, like The Cult of Chucky, which yeah, was a yeah. terrible movie. Yeah. Um, so maybe we just ought to not do this ever again. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so my biggest problem with the movie, besides it not making sense, besides it being stupid, beside it, besides it over-explaining things that never needed explaining in the first place, is that it makes Michael unscary. When you have Michael being controlled in such a way, when you can... When this guy with his dice bag control michael with rocks and freeze him he's not scary he's never scary in this movie the the closest thing he got to scary i think was when he was chasing uh or stalking deborah in the house that that's old school that felt like classic halloween for the most part even like the clothesline I yeah. appreciated that reference. Yeah. I really did. Yeah, there were neat references. Uh, you could tell that this started from a place of love from the fan, yeah. but it got. It's like the 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 phone game where you like whisper in one ear and whisper in the next person. When it comes out, it's the garbled mess, and yeah. that's what this was. It literally went from Halloween one, Chris, 
and I'm not even kidding, mm-hmm. to Weekend at Bernie's 2. <laughs> yeah. 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 Think about that. Yeah. For those of you who have unfortunately seen that film, yeah. that the Cold of Thorns storyline makes Halloween 6, Weekend at Bernie's 2. Yeah. You gotta reference both if you need to have that closure, <laughs> but that's once again. I think you've referenced Weekend of Bernie's a few times in these. Weekend of Bernie's too, though. Yeah, I, I I'm not know. sure. You want to look back but at that? That's what this film is. <laughs> yeah, and that tells you how good this film is. Yeah. Uh, two get... two breasts. Yes. Get uh, to the kill count. Yeah, kill get count. out of here. So the kill count, of course, since there's two versions of the movie, it is slightly different, but it's all at the back end. I'm assuming the producer's cut has less kills, right? Much less. Okay. So overall, in both cuts, there are eight kills. Um, This is one of the few movies where we see almost pretty much all of the kills happen on screen. Whether we see the striking blow or not, Hmm. we don't have to assume anything. Okay. And that doesn't happen in a lot of them. It does make it easier for you. Yeah. It happens in... Well... You've actually debated to me behind the scenes, like, does that count? (laughs) Yeah, because you're not... If you're not sure. Yeah. But... Um, the nurse that helped deliver Jamie's baby at the very beginning, that's number one, she was picked up, shoved onto a spike on the wall, which, why was that there? But it's spike on the wall so she could hang like Bob in the original movie and like Kelly Meeker in the fourth movie when she was stabbed up onto the wall. So those are, that's a double reference there. The, uh, truck guy who was having a drink in the rain gets his head twisted by Michael, that's number two. Jamie... Um, she is not necessarily in this order in both cuts, but she does die in both cuts. In one, she is impaled and ripped apart or whatever. In one, and she is shot in the head very unspectacularly in the producer's cut. Number four is the death I probably felt worst about was Deborah Strode, the mom. Mm -hmm. Um, she looked like she was really in terror and it just felt uneasy and like i was sad with that one she got axed you didn't see it but you saw the nice blood spray on the on the sheets and now that they use the spray but i remember the axe swipe shot was in all the commercials yeah that's what made you want to see it i liked how they set that up too because you saw john use the axe when he was complaining about the kids yes you see deborah pick up the axe from the porch put it in the box later on you see her notice that the axe is missing from the box and then he uses it so that was the most well done thing in the movie yeah like 100 percent yeah. John Strode is number five. He was stabbed and electrocuted in a much more gruesome fashion in the theatrical cut, but he was the same way in both. Uh, Barry Sims, the shock jock, was stabbed and hung from a tree to make the red warm rain yes. on the little girl. Yes. Um, Peter Gabriel yes. reference right there, I guess. Okay. <laughs> number six. Number seven was the brother, Tim. He had his throat slashed after taking a shower, after having sex with Beth, who was number eight. Who her death was actually a reference to when a stranger calls. Intentional. Oh. The di- the director or the writer said that it was written that way. So Kara is in Tommy's room using his like peeping camera, which yeah. he spied on her with. Yeah. And because she, they decided to have sex in her bedroom for some reason, yeah. and so she was stabbed multiple times while Kara watched from across the street. That is it. For the producer's cut, there are no more deaths after that. Huh. The yeah, because there there are no deaths in the in the final sequence of the because there's all there's a lot of running and fighting. But well, I guess does Wind die? I guess Wind dies. Wind does die. So that's nine. That's nine. Yeah. In the theatrical cut, there are seventeen deaths. Oh. I had to look up a kill count for this because I cannot oh. tell how many people died in that murder room, the, oh. the disco oh. disco blade room, disco yeah. blade room. Yeah. Doctors and nurses in total, including when it said that there were nine, so that was seventeen total. Wow. I have to trust them because I'm not going to go back and look. Sure, thanks guys, whoever did yeah. that. So that's it. 
I'm done talking about don't this movie. Don't watch it. Don't, <laughs> don't watch I, it. Although, here, here's the thing. Uh, there's an affordable version of the director's cut yeah. sold separately. If you are not, if you don't have the Halloween box set that Screen Factory did a great job yeah. on, by the way. I'm mean, going yeah. give them credit a lot throughout this series. You can buy the producer's cut separately. Last time I saw it, it was online new for like six bucks. Yeah, you should. Because if you are a... If someone like me, and you'll still watch the bad version... Or the bad movies out of a franchise like I do. When I start watching Halloween... I mean, I've watched the first one. I can watch it on its own. But when I start watching them, I'll usually watch all of them. So if you're going to watch six, watch the producer's cut. Because it is better. And it feels a bit more classic. I liked what you were telling me about how it came to be. Like this was... Because this was the one that they screened. But it was released on like YouTube or like bootleg VHS or whatever back then. So Scream Factory, Shout Factory actually made this edit themselves to mimic that cut. So that it would be something that you could actually watch and not just be annoyed by. You know? Yeah, they really set out for this to become a reality. Yeah. They even screened it to like a, a fan audience and said, we don't know if it's going to come out. But the yeah. idea was to get the buzz going. Yeah. And they did it right. Yeah. So speaking of good stuff, Chris, we got good stuff coming up on the horizon. Or, I mean, well, <laughs> we good, good episodes. I'm going to say at least the episodes <laughs> right, yeah, are yeah. going to be good you know, not who the fuck are we, but uh, yeah, we've got some stuff coming up. Uh, dimension. We're in the you, dimension era, Chris, yeah, and it's yeah. not going to be great, but I'm, I'm actually going to look forward to, you know, for ranking purposes, see sure. how this is all going to plan out because yeah. I had my opinions going in. They might be shifting a little bit, but time will tell. Looking at them this close, Initially, I was sure what my least favorite movie was going to be. At this point, I'm not so sure. Not so sure anymore. I, I'm not. It's unfortunate that it's a race for the bottom, but <laughs> I kind of remembered that from my last viewing of all of them. Obviously, that's where the yeah. intrigue, I think, even for the listener is, yeah. because we all know what the top one yeah. is. Okay. I love Michael Myers. I do love Michael Myers. I love Halloween, and that's why we're doing this. But, yeah, we're going to call them out for garbage. And when there's so much behind-the-scenes stuff that affects what we see can't help it like mm-hmm. i'm not gonna say that i'm not gonna yeah. pretend to like something that's yeah. just not very good i don't feel like we're gonna bitch too much about production on the next one yeah but you know how can you when jamie lee curtis is back yes. so h2o is on the horizon yes and you will be able to find that episode on cnjradio.com the home of the last theater as well as all of the cnj radio family of podcasts as well as spotify apple podcasts and whatever go search for it wherever you find your podcast whatever what you whatever Whoever, which or whatever. Sorry, I blew the death proof line, Chris. Dang it. All right, let's just get out of here because this film has really affected me. Bye.